Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. Our current series focuses on the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at who He is and what He does in the life of a believer. And I hope you'll find this week's message helpful in your personal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry. But before we dig into this together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. We have been studying the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does, and just looking at a variety of things that God's Word tells us about His ministry and and all that His ministry entails. And this morning, we're going to be talking about something that I would assume, for many believers, is somewhat of a lesser-known activity or doctrine, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to spend some time this morning, taking a look at what Scripture tells us about what He does as He fills believers. And uh, if you would, take your Bibles and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15, and I'm going to go down to verse 21, and we're going to be looking at a variety of other Scriptures this morning as well. But we're going to start with Ephesians 5, verse 15, and this is what we find in that portion of God's Word. Here it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today. We pray that as we look at this portion of your word from Ephesians chapter 5, as we talk about this idea of the ministry of of your Spirit filling us as He fills us. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what that concept is all about. And we pray, Lord, that that's something that we would desire more and more and more of, His filling. So, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to start off our week thinking about these things today. We pray that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to receive these truths, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I was actually just talking about this yesterday at uh, the picnic that we had at, at Dave and Susie's home, but uh, a persistent and recurring injury that I have had over the course of my life is the severe spraining of my right ankle. I've done it several times. Now, I haven't done it in a while, so I'm due. So I expect like any minute now, it's probably going to happen to me yet again. But each time I sprain it, it looks worse. And each time I sprain it, it takes longer and longer to heal, and I have noticed now when you, you know how when you fly, you have to go through, you know, the TSA security check-in 
frequently, it doesn't happen every single time, but frequently after I go through that thing that scans your whole body, they make me stop and then they ask me to give them my right ankle and they pat down my right ankle because apparently it must not look normal in there. They always, I'm, I'm like, wow, they even check my right ankle when I go through TSA security at, uh, at, at an airport. And I, you know, it's, I guess it's that damaged and that confused. It shows up funny on their machine. And uh, if you've ever sprained an ankle, you know it's a very painful injury. It's one of those injuries that you, you, when it happens, you keep thinking the pain's going to go away, and it doesn't. And I have noticed, after having sprained my ankle a few times severely, that 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 experience has contributed to my desire to be particularly cautious when I'm walking on uneven ground or when I'm walking near a curb so that I don't step off a curb just the right way and, and end up injuring the ankle all over again. And I mention that not because I want to even think about that, because I don't necessarily want to think about that injury, but when you look at the portion of Scripture we just read together, and we're going to revisit some of these verses in just a moment, but you, you probably noticed right away in Ephesians 5 that God's Word encourages us to be careful about how we walk. That's a phrase that gets used here. You know, be, it says, look carefully then how you walk. God's encouraging us in His Word to be careful about how we walk. But the analogy, it carries a deeper significance than just the, the way we put one physical foot in front of the other physical foot, right? Scripture teaches us to walk in a particular way, and what it's talking about is live in a particular way. That's what it means. You know, live according to the, to the teaching of God's Word. It's describing the way we intentionally journey through life, either toward the Lord or away from Him. And Scripture uses that analogy quite frequently. Now, I think most of us would probably agree that the majority of people on this planet are running in a direction that is far from God's desire for them. That's the majority opinion. That's the majority activity. Many people in this world are embracing foolishness, and the main reason they're, they're embracing foolishness is that their, their hearts are not anchored in the truth. If your heart is not anchored in the truth, you're going to be swayed very easily by foolish things, and you see that taking place in every generation, including ours. But we who have known Jesus Christ, we who know Him personally and have entrusted our lives and our futures and all of ourselves over to Him, we're, we're, we're called, when you look at what Scripture says, to walk with Spirit-empowered wisdom, to live in a different way. We're called to, to make a careful use of the time that we've been blessed with on this earth because that time will be up before we know it. It's like a vapor, right? It just happens over the course of a very short period of time, and then it's done. And Scripture is encouraging us, even when we look at the Scripture we just read here, and again, we're going to revisit these verses in just a moment, but we may be surrounded by evil. You know, you look at your life, I look at my life, we're surrounded by evil in all sorts of directions, but God's will for us is that in the midst of the context that He allows us to live in, that we shine the goodness of His gospel in the midst of of a dark world. Now, how does this have anything to do with the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll show you in just a moment. And when you look at the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus here, he wanted them and all believers, anyone who would read these words, to be very intentional about using their lives to bring glory to Jesus Christ. When you think about your purpose in this world, when I think about my purpose in this world, our goal is to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And so you have Paul encouraging the church to have that mindset. He encouraged the church to, to embrace a manner of living that was the genuine fruit of sincere faith. 
And here's how you know someone's faith is sincere. Here's how you know if your own faith is sincere. Real faith is marked by obedience. If I tell you that I have real faith in Jesus Christ, but yet my life is not marked by obedience to Jesus Christ, you would have right to question whether or not I'm actually serious about what I'm saying. Real faith in Christ is marked by obedience to Christ. And even though there may be people in your day-to-day life who are taking their lives in an unwise direction and inviting you to join them in that unwise direction, you don't have to join them, nor do you need to follow their example. And you're going to be surrounded by that all the time. And I found myself in a context not that long ago that kind of reminded me of this a little bit. Recently, I was in a meeting with a group of people that I've known for a while. Some of them I've known for a while. Some of them I guess I haven't known all that long including one man who, the way I would describe him, he just kind of has a reputation for vulgarity. And not just like a little bit, kind of a lot. And I thought to myself, as soon as I saw him walk into the room at this particular meeting, I thought to myself, all right, how long is it going to be before this guy says something either disgusting or immature? There was like a mental countdown in my mind. And the truth is, I didn't have to wait very long. It didn't take very long. As soon as there was a lull in conversation... You know, I'm pretty sure it was one of the first things that came out of his mouth, and he continued to do that throughout the meeting, and uh, each time I decided, you know, I'm just going to scan the room. I want to see the reaction of people in this room, because I think this guy's kind of missing this, and I noticed each time he would do this, I would watch the room collectively just look down in embarrassment. Not embarrassment for themselves, embarrassment for him, thinking like, I think he thinks he's funny. It's not funny, right? He never seemed to catch on that most people were trying to avoid eye contact with him. And I look at that and I think, all right, you know, you and I are going to be surrounded by all sorts of things that we could either participate in or set a different example. And if I say that I have real faith, and if you say we have, you have real faith in Jesus Christ, our lives should be marked by obedience to him. And so you have the Apostle Paul at verse 15 of the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15. He says it this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I like how he sets this up. You know, he's setting this up in a particular way where where he's saying, listen, don't waste your life, don't waste your time, don't go about things in a foolish way just because you're constantly surrounded by people making foolish choices. Look carefully how you walk. You know, God's Word encourages us to be more careful than my particular acquaintance was at that meeting, to be more careful with our words, to be more careful with our mindset, with our attitude, because the days are evil, and the prevailing thoughts of what constitutes humor in our our day-to-day is foolish. But we don't have to embrace that foolishness because the Holy Spirit lives within all who trust in Jesus Christ, and He grants us a mature understanding of His will. And his will is that our lives should mirror the heart and the character of Jesus. And then Paul says something very interesting here, and this is where he starts to get into the essence of the doctrine that we're talking about today. When you look at verse 18 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, when you look at that phrase where he's saying, Be filled with the Spirit, I I want you to kind of take a guess in your mind what you think that means. 
be filled with the Spirit, because there's actually a lot of misconceptions about what that happens to mean. Uh, the other day, I had the opportunity to take my family to our very first visit to Knobles Amusement Resort this, this, uh, this summer. I hope that there are many more, but it's getting trickier for us. And while we were eating, what do you suppose the pastor's family likes to talk about while we're eating? Usually dumb stuff. I'm, that's the truth. But in this moment, I, I said, hey, I'm just going to, I quizzed my family, or part of my family. I quizzed them. I said, hey, this Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. What do you think it means? And the very first person to speak up was my son, Jay. And he nailed it. He got it right. I was like, I gave him more ride tickets because he, not, not really, but I, I, was, I was excited because it's when, when this term is brought up, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what you think it means. Pick a definition in your mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define it in just a moment, but take a guess what you think it means based on the context of what Paul's talking about here. He says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying something specific, but I'm going to give you a hint at what he's talking about. And, and for this hint, you have to revisit a high school assembly with me back when I think I was in, I, I might have been, it might have been my junior year of high school, somewhere around that season of my life. And I was told, when you were in high school and they told you that there was going to be an assembly, did you ever find yourself saying like, oh, great, and you started thinking, which class does it get me out of, Right. Well, I was having that feeling. I'd heard there was going to be a school assembly, and so for a while I was trying to figure out what's the assembly going to be about. And I was told, you know, something's coming up later that day, trying to figure out what it's going to be about. Finally found out, someone said, yeah, the school brought in a hypnotist who's going to attempt to hypnotize students. And I was like, they brought in what? And I was like, someone's playing a prank on me. I'm thinking, like, this is a trick. Like, the school didn't bring in a hypnotist. What did they really bring in? And then I come to find out, no, they literally brought in a hypnotist to try and hypnotize students for entertainment. And at that point, I, w- I was uh, at a season where I was taking my faith very seriously, and I was posed with a dilemma. And my dilemma was this. I don't feel it's biblical for me, me to yield control of my mind over, over to anything other than the Spirit of God. Do you think that's a biblical statement? I was already convinced of that at that season of my life. So then I was posed with another dilemma. Stay or leave? So I just left. I just walked home. I was like, oh, all right. Is that what it is? I left. I I walked out of school. Now, that was in an era where the world didn't go on lockdown if a student did that. I just left. No one knew. I I didn't make a big deal about it. My friends knew. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, they're probably going to get on my case about this. They're probably going to look at this and say, why would you do that? Like, that's so dumb. It's just a school assembly. Why do you have to have convictions about everything, Stongy, right? But I, my honest feeling in that moment was, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not, even if it's just in fun, even if it's just in entertainment, whatever, nothing is supposed to have control over my mind other than Christ himself and his spirit. And when you look at what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5, when you get to verse 18, that's part of what, the, what Paul was trying to encourage the church to understand when you look at this verse here. Although, you know, the context he speaks about, he uses the contrast of drunkenness, but you could substitute anything that would take unhealthy control of a person's mind for drunkenness. That's just one example, right? We all know that too much alcohol is going to uh, cause a person to lose control of their thinking. It's going to cause a person to lose control of their actions. You know, if somebody takes in too much alcohol, they're going to think and say and do things that may cause severe harm to themselves or others if they give alcohol control of their thinking. But again, 
Sometimes for some people, it's not alcohol. It's something else they give control of their thinking. Alcohol is not the only thing vying for control of your life or my life. We're surrounded by all sorts of things that want to control our minds. And when you look at the teaching of Scripture and what it actually tells us is going on, it reveals that there is a spiritual battle that I think a lot of times we're uncomfortable thinking about or really dwelling on. But the truth is, that's real. There's literally a spiritual battle taking place seeking to control the minds of humanity. There are spiritual forces that are more than happy to use media as a form of mind control, uh, different apps that we have on our phones to try and influence us in unhealthy ways, substances, false beliefs, all sorts of things that are trying to influence us to think in an ungodly way, because if our beliefs can be brought into submission to sin, our behaviors will soon follow. My behavior and your behavior will always follow what we believe. So I think that when Satan attempts to influence people, I, you know, I think a lot of times we tend to think that his main goal is to influence or to start with influencing our behaviors. And I'm convinced that his main tactic is to try and influence our beliefs. Because if he can influence our beliefs, our behaviors are going to quickly follow. And here you have the Apostle Paul saying, don't give, in this case, a substance unhealthy control of your mind. Don't yield the control of your thinking over to something that's going to produce unhealthy results in your day-to-day life. And what he's saying here is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a much better option than, than granting control of our thought life over to Satan or Satan's influence. Here you have the, the contrast that Paul's using here, and he, he's saying that for us as believers in Christ, our desire ought to be to be filled with the Spirit. Not yielding our mind over to other things, not to be filled with unhealthy things, but to be filled with the Spirit. But again, what do you suppose Paul meant by that phrase? Because it's a phrase that I think a lot of times people look at and they say, I don't actually know what that means. What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Scripture makes it very clear that the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that moment, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You'll see that in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 when you look at verses 13 and verse 14. It reveals to us that the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, He takes up residence within you. And every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That's an irrevocable and unchangeable reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Once the Spirit takes up residence within you, He's not leaving. So how is the filling of the Spirit different from His indwelling? If all believers are indwelled, but yet not all believers are filled, what does that mean? Well, to be filled with the Spirit, it means to live a life that's completely yielded over to His control. That's what it means. You and I are going to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're saying, I'm going to live a life that I'm completely yielding over to the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. It carries the idea of holding nothing back from Him. So if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I can't hold a single thing back from Him. When we're filled with the Spirit, what we're doing is we're submitting every area of our lives over to His leading, and every area of our mind over to His leading, we're saying, Spirit of God, influence me. Spirit of God, take control of my thinking. Spirit of God, direct the steps that I choose. We're literally welcoming His presence to fill our lives in every single way 
And we're not granting any remaining room over in our lives over to evil. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So again, every believer is indwelled with the Spirit, but because of the presence of our old nature, you and I have an old nature, an old sinful nature, we still struggle with sin. And I have to tell you, the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more frustrating my old nature is to me. You ever feel that way? Do you, you ever find yourself just looking forward to the day when, you know, Scripture says there's going to be a day when we're in the presence of the Lord and we're going to be in glorified bodies, we're not going to struggle with sin any longer. But right now, each of us, we struggle with sin. There are moments in your life and in my life that we look at and we say, you know what, there I did what I say I don't want to do. And there I went and did the very thing I say I don't want to do. The very thing that I knew was wrong and I still did it. And in that moment, is that a moment where we've lived as one who is filled with the Spirit or not? The answer is, anytime I give in to temptation, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm choosing not to be filled with the Spirit. Even though He indwells me, I'm choosing not to submit areas of my life over to His control, and that's unhealthy. It's not what He desires. We still struggle with sin, and so that's why the Scripture here is talking about the fact that we aren't always filled with the Spirit in the sense that Paul's using that phrase in this passage. And I'm going to give you a few examples of how this pans out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, just the chapter right before this, the Apostle Paul makes a statement here, and he says, "...and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Now, in that passage, in Ephesians chapter 4, you have the Apostle Paul making it clear that Christians have the capacity to grieve the heart of God. I don't know how often we think of that. Uh, I would imagine more often we think of angering God than we think of grieving God. But when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us we have the capacity to grieve the heart of God. The Holy Spirit grieves over any evil we unnecessarily welcome into our lives. He grieves over every time we adopt a worldly view and treat it like it's true. His heart's grieved over just the trivial ways sometimes we tinker with sin. We try and dance around the edges like it's not going to have an impact on us. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, why is the scripture telling that to us? And it's speaking, by the way, to Christians. It's not speaking to non-Christians here. It's speaking to Christians Well, we're being told this is because we have the capacity to do that. And sometimes we could even say not just the capacity, but the propensity to do that, to grieve the Spirit of God. Well, if we're grieving the Holy Spirit, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? If I'm grieving the Holy Spirit in that moment, I'm not filled with the Spirit. I'm indwelled by the Spirit of God. He lives within me, but it's clear that I'm not submitting all areas of my life over to His control and guidance in a moment where I'm choosing to grieve him. If I grieve him, obviously that's a moment where I'm not living as one filled with the Spirit. How about what Paul said to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 5 of of 1 Thessalonians? In verse 19, he says, do not quench the Spirit. So think about that statement for a second. Do not quench the Spirit. What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Well, quenching the Spirit involves placing our will above His. So if I place my will above the will of, of, of the Holy Spirit, I'm quenching the Spirit. We quench Him anytime we ignore His leading, anytime we reject His counsel. We quench the Spirit every time we work against Him by pursuing our own agenda. 
when those, even when those desires conflict with the will of God, we quench the Spirit of God. So if I'm quenching the Holy Spirit, am I filled with Him? No, in that moment I'm not. So it's possible to grieve the Spirit of God. It's possible to quench the Spirit of God. But the greater option is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us as believers to do. He's basically saying, cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he's trying to accomplish something in your day-to-day life. I don't know... I mean, we know, we know what the Lord has revealed to us in His Word, but sometimes I just wonder what the Lord thinks when He looks at believers in particular, when we get to a spot where we choose not to cooperate with Him. It's like, do you ever see... I, I saw something the other day. It was a, a, a reenactment that my wife and I were watching of somebody trying to save a drowning person. And you look at that and you're like, cooperate cooperate with the person that's trying to help you. And what do you see in, in, in many instances like that? Fighting against the person trying to save you. Don't we as believers at times try to do that? You know, we're in this spot where we're dealing with all sorts of chaos in our life. We're dealing with all sorts of adversity. We're dealing with all sorts of things that are trying to drag us in an unhealthy direction. And the Lord offers His help and He offers us His guidance. The Holy Spirit literally offers to fill us and empower us, and enable us to do what He calls us to do. And we have this tendency to fight against Him. And when we fight against Him, what are we basically saying? We're saying, I trust me more than I trust you, or effectively, I know more than you know about how to help me in this particular situation. And so the Scripture encourages us, listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and don't quench the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that you can cooperate with what he's trying to accomplish in your life. Do you believe the Lord wants to accomplish something amazing in your life? Is that a fair statement to say, that he wants to accomplish something amazing or miraculous in your life? He really does. He delights in doing that. You see that all throughout Scripture. I mean, one of the fascinating things, I have a habit during the summer months, I like to read through the Gospels. I got into this habit when I was in college, and I still continue it, I like to just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or all of them, or a portion of them. I like to do that in the summer months. It's a good refresher for my mind. And when you look throughout the the Gospels, what do you see? Story after story of, of the people that Jesus reached into their lives to help. People that were going in all sorts of directions that were unhealthy and unwise. And what did the Lord do? He reached into hopeless situations, and he sought to help people that were dealing with all sorts of things. And I look at that, and it's a reminder to me, Don't fight God when he's trying to accomplish something in your life. Cooperate with him. Trust him to make the right call. And the odd part about the moments when we either grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit, in those moments, I think sometimes we actually feel like we may have gotten away with something. You know, we feel like, yeah, I think I got away with something, right? I did what I wanted to do instead of actually cooperating with what God wanted to do in my life. But there's a downside to failing... uh, uh, a downside that comes with failing to cooperate with the work that he's trying to do within us. Grieving him and quenching him results in us failing to experience the full expression of his power working in miraculous ways through us. Now, I'll tell you what, the the older I get, the more I desire the power of God to be at work in my life and through my life. 
But if I reject the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit, what I'm doing and what we're doing collectively is we end up robbing ourselves of amazing experiences and amazing opportunities. And I think moments that would foster our hearts to give Him praise that because we're just looking at the miraculous things that He does around us or even through us, we rob ourselves of those moments when we fail to cooperate with Him, when we submit our minds over to the forces of evil that corrupt our thinking. And I look at that and I think, what a sad thing that is to rob ourselves of the experience of God's power accomplishing something miraculous within us. And I think there's something else that we give up when we choose not to be filled with the Spirit of God, and that's power in our prayer life. There's a portion of Scripture in uh, in James chapter 5 where you have James explaining a variety of things about prayer and the power that we access in those moments of prayer. And James says this in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. By the way, even before I finish that statement, why do you suppose James is encouraging the church to confess to one another? Is it to just embarrass ourselves in front of one another? I think what he's trying to do is say, listen, when you call sin out into the light, you rob it of its power. Because what does sin like to do? Likes to operate behind the scenes secretly. Likes to get away with things. He's saying, call it out into the light, you know, in a conversation with someone who loves you and, tr- and you trust. Just call it out, confess it, so that it ro- you can rob sin of its power in moments like that. But he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then I highlighted this here where he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James, by the way, was known as a man of prayer during his generation. He was the half-brother of Jesus, and um, he was a church leader during that particular era. Um, He was known for being particularly wise, and by the way, I think it's pretty fair to say that a a healthy prayer life and wisdom go hand in hand. I think that the wisest people I've ever met are also people that tended to have a healthy prayer life, but the Holy Spirit inspired James to encourage the church to pray. And they were called to pray when they were cheerful. They were called to pray when they were dealing with illnesses and infirmities and all sorts of things. They were invited to confess their sins to one another and seek divine intervention on behalf of one another. But the church was also reminded here in James's letters, he's talking to them here, that there's great power in prayer. And I think sometimes we need that reminder. I think sometimes we, we pray in such a light and and genteel way when really we're supposed to be aggressively approaching the throne of God with confidence that He can miraculously intervene in our day-to-day lives. And here you have James saying, there's great power in prayer specifically when those prayers emanate from a person who walks in righteousness. If you're a man or a woman who walks in righteousness, the book of James tells us here, that there's great power that accompanies the prayers that come from somebody like that. I think another way we could say that is that men and women who are filled with the Spirit, 
Men and women who completely submit their lives and their minds and their intentions over to the Spirit of God. They pray powerful prayers. And miraculous and amazing things are accomplished in the midst of that. That's, things happen when people like that pray. By the way, each of us have the opportunity to be that kind of person that James is talking about here. Not a self-righteous person, but a person who says, I just want to taste the righteousness of Christ. I want the righteousness that He will give to me. And then I want to live it out. Not my own righteousness, but His righteousness. You know, you look at examples that are given to us in Scripture of diseases healed. Do you think you could pray for God to miraculously heal someone of a disease? Do you think He would still do this in this generation? Why wouldn't He? Why would He tell us to pray for these things and then not answer prayers like that? Things happen when when the people of God pray, when people submit themselves over to Him and then pray. What about, you know, just the miraculous... I mean, do do you ever find yourself in a spot where you are so desperate for God to do something in the life of someone you love... And you just lift them up before the Lord in prayer because you've tried everything you can think of and you've run out of ideas and then you realize, you know what? The best idea I ever had was just submitting this person over to the Lord and just praying that the Lord would do something miraculous in their life. Do you think God delights to answer prayers like that? Do you ever pray prayers of reconciliation? You know, just praying, Lord, reconcile this brother, reconcile this sister. You ever pray prayers that the Lord would speak wisdom into the life of a rebellious person? Someone that you care for, but you're just praying, Lord, please change their heart, change their mind. Do you think you could pray with that kind of power? According to James, you can. You know, the example that he gives right after these verses here, he talks about Elijah praying that the Lord would withhold rain for three and a half years. And the Lord said what? Okay. Now, I don't know, I, Dave told me he was praying yesterday before the picnic that, the, that it would be a rain-free event, and it ended up being very much rain-free at his house, but it wasn't, I live eight minutes from him, and we got pouring rain at my house, but not at Dave's house. And he mentioned to me before church here, he said, yeah, I prayed it wouldn't rain. There are examples of that in Scripture, in James chapter 5. But the truth is, you can ask the Lord, and here's the thing, can I give you some counsel here? This is unsolicited counsel, but you, you look very receptive to this thought, so I'm just going to say it. Ask God to do impossible things. Do you ever hear people pray very, very safe prayers and say to yourself, you know you could ask Him for bigger stuff than that? You really can. Do you ever hear, hear people, now obviously when we pray, we're supposed to submit our prayer requests over to the Lord's will, Correct. But why not ask for the biggest thing you could think of and then accept the fact that, Lord, whatever your will is, I accept. Sometimes I hear people say, you know what, Lord, do whatever you want in this particular circumstance. Amen. And I'm like, okay, now ultimately we trust the Lord to do whatever he wants in every circumstance, and that's fine. And I believe in submitting our prayer requests over to his will. But why not ask him to miraculously heal your family member of cancer? Why not ask for the big thing? He can do it. Why not ask for your errant child's heart to be brought in line with the will of God? Why not ask for the Lord to miraculously draw our nation back to Him? Why not ask for those things? Why not ask for the salvation of the person that you know seems so far away, like my vulgar friend that I mentioned just a moment ago, 
who speaks no differently than I spoke before I came to know Christ, and he got a hold of my mind. Why not ask for the big stuff? I say ask for the big stuff. Ask for the biggest stuff that you could ask, and then trust the Lord to say yes or no, but ask big. Pray big. Pray boldly. And James says that the prayer, the way he phrases it, the phrase that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think part of the reason why we don't ask for big things is because we don't understand what it means to be completely filled with the Spirit of God. And there might be some element in our prayer life where we're looking at it, we're thinking, would God actually respond to me with a big answer? Like, am I that much on the radar of God that he would actually answer my big prayer request? Why wouldn't he? There are reasons he puts portions of Scripture like this in his word. It's to challenge you and I to actually test him with it, to try it out, to see what he actually does. I remember uh, some years ago, our family sat down in our living room praying on behalf of somebody that the Lord would miraculously intervene in their life. And we had the opportunity to see within a day heart change occur within this person's life. And we were amazed. And I thought to myself, why are we amazed? We literally sat down and prayed that way. I shouldn't be amazed. I should be like, of course. I should be thankful, but probably not amazed. Like, why wouldn't the Lord answer that prayer request? It was very much in line with his will. And here you have James reminding the church that there's great power in prayer especially when those prayers are coming from the heart of someone completely filled with the Spirit of God, completely submitted over to the Lord without holding anything back. So let me ask this, just in a personal way. Just answer this in your own mind. Do you consider yourself someone who is filled with the Spirit of God? Or, here's the contrast, or are there still areas of your life that you are knowingly holding back from Him? It's kind of a confrontational question, but it's meant to be that way, because I think I want us to really wrestle with that. Are you filled with the Spirit of God, or, or can you, if you're honest, identify one area or two areas or three or more where you would say, yeah, that's probably, probably not an area that I have submitted over to the Lord's will yet, maybe because I'm afraid of what He is going to ask me to do with this thing or that thing or whatever it may be. Have you given control of of your faith over to the Lord? Have you submitted that over to Him? Have you given control of your attitude over to the Lord and said, Lord, work in my attitude, work in my heart. Let my attitude reflect your character. Have you given Him complete control over the way you speak to other people, whether in your household or in your community or in your workplace? So you have control of your tongue. How about your career? Have you submitted your career over to him? Or are you on a path that, that you think you want to be on, but you're not really sure if it's what the Lord wants you to be on? Have you submitted your career over to him? Have you submitted your finances over to him? Or do you call the shots there? Are you ingesting things in your body that result in your mind not being fully submitted over to him? Are you allowing evil coming from media or apps or anything like that to influence your day-to-day life and your thinking? Is your mind and your heart fully submitted over to the Lord? Are you welcoming the filling of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's the thing. 
I recognize that none of us does this perfectly. And, and that's why Scripture tells us to be filled with the Spirit of God. If this was an easy and automatic thing, do you think the Scripture would be telling us to do it? The reason we're being told to do it is because the understanding is this will be a struggle for us on some days. There's going to be some days where I want my will instead of God's will, and you want your will instead of God's will. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, no, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't give anything else control over your thinking. I want to share a quote with you from Andrew Murray. Some years ago, Andrew Murray said this. He said, and this is, he's saying this basically as a prayer, and I want to challenge us to pray this, if you dare. But he said it this way. He said, may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence, and not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to full, or fill full of his spirit and his love. That's a bold thing to pray, wouldn't you say? I'm just going to throw that out there and encourage, if you're willing, I'm going to leave that up on the screen. I'm going to challenge you, if, you, if you're willing, to pray that very thing for yourself, that not a single moment of your life would be spent outside of just a complete filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of prayer I want to be praying. You know, I want to live in the light. I want to live in the love. I want to live in the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to surrender myself to be filled with His Spirit, and I want my heart to grieve like His heart grieves every time I veer in a direction that's anything other than the course that He wants for my life. And I hope you're willing to pray for the very same thing. It's a very hard thing to pray in one respect because we know our frailties and we know our struggles, and we probably know a few things that we still kind of want to hold on to, But I'll tell you what, as your faith matures, his heart starts to become your heart, and you find yourself saying, you know, praying prayers like we see in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But again, I want to bring Andrew Murray's prayer up on the screen, and I just want to think about this together as we finish up. If there's anything that you're still holding back, I just want to encourage you and us as a church family to give it over to the Lord and welcome the filling of the Spirit of God. I'll tell you what, life on this planet is so much better when we're operating in the power that the Lord supplies. When we try and go through life under our own wisdom, strength, and power, it goes in one direction and it's not healthy. But when we submit ourselves completely over to the Lord, trusting every element of our lives, every aspect of ourselves over to His guidance and care. That's when you experience real power in your day-to-day life, and it's not power that comes from you. It's power of, the power of God at work within you. And so as we finish up our time in prayer, I'm just going to pray this on our behalf, but if this is something that you desire, to truly be filled with the Spirit of God, like we're encouraged in Ephesians chapter 5, I'd encourage you to make it your prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you just as Andrew Murray did some years ago, and we just lift up our hearts before you and pray that not a single moment of our lives would be spent outside the light, love, and joy of your presence, and not a moment without the entire surrender of ourself as as a vessel for you to fill full of your spirit and your love. 
By your grace, Father, we pray that you would accomplish that in our lives through the presence of your Spirit. We pray that there wouldn't be any element or aspect of our day-to-day lives that that we hold on to that we shouldn't be holding on to. We pray that we would experience what it means to be men and women who are counted among your family, that when we pray before you, that those prayers are accompanied with great power, and that we watch your hand at work all around us in the lives of those we love and care about, in the hearts of those who are distant from you, in our own lives, even as we we deal with areas of temptation or addiction or persistent sin that seems like it hangs on there. Lord, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome all of these things. And we know that your power is sufficient. We know that you can do miraculous things around us, that the miracles that you accomplish, that's not just for a generation before us, that's also in this generation. You do miraculous things, and Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that we get to be the beneficiaries of your hand at work. So Lord, we know that it's your desire that we trust you completely. You don't want us running from you. You don't want us going in a direction that's going to be Uh, dishonoring to your name and grievous to your spirit and harmful to others and harmful to ourselves. That's not what you want for us. You want us to just completely submit ourselves over to you as men and women who know you through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts and our minds would reflect the, the love and the character of your son. And we pray that the power of your spirit would be evident among us. Thank you, Father, for making this possible for us. Thank you for the fact that you give us the privilege to walk with you. Thank you for the fact that you are stronger than our weaknesses. And that when we think about the things in the past that we've given our minds and our hearts over to, that we can look at those things and realize we don't have to keep doing that. We don't have to yield control of our minds or our thinking or our attitude over to anything other than your spirit. So by your grace, we pray that that would be exactly what takes place in our day-to-day life. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your presence with us right now. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.